Hello and welcome to HIMSCast. I'm Laura Lovett from Moby Health News. Today we're joined by an international group of editors. We have Leontina Postenlicu from our UK office. We have Dean Coe joining us from Singapore today. And we also have Jeff Lagasse from our Portland office in Maine. Today we're going to be focusing in a little bit deeper on the coronavirus. This is an update from our February coverage. All of the HIMSS media publications have been covering the coronavirus epidemic. You can find that coverage on Moby Health News, Healthcare Finance News, and Healthcare IT News. You can also find updates on HIMSS.org, which has a collections page of all of our coverage together. The coronavirus has recently been upgraded to a pandemic. The World Health Organization has reported over 150,000 cases. While the bulk of those cases are still in China with 80,000 reported cases, we've seen the epidemic move to other countries, both in the EU and in the US. And with this, we're seeing a lot of advancements in technology and also a lot of the countries are responding in different ways. So let's start off by talking about how different governments are responding to it. And let's start with Leontina in the UK. Hi, everyone, and thank you for having me. Um, yes, Laura, as you mentioned, this is such a fast-moving story. So um, here, according to the latest figures, we know that there have been over 1,500 confirmed cases of coronavirus so far. Um, over the weekend, the government was actually heavily criticized for its approach to the pandemic. And um, as a response, Downing Street said it was planning to hold daily televised press conferences in order to update the public on their approach and, um, and the situation. So the first one actually just took place earlier today and um, Prime Minister Boris Johnson said everyone should avoid uh, non-essential travel and, and contact with others. So similar to what we've seen in other countries, right? Um, we actually know now that officials believe the UK is only three weeks behind Italy, um, which is the worst affected country in Europe. Yeah, and it's interesting. I know, you know, Europe has kind of become the sort of center right now with the disease, but we've also seen Singapore has been dealing with this for a while, but they haven't quite had that same curve that other countries have, and, and they've been getting a lot of praise for sort of contro controlling the virus. Um, could you talk to me a little bit about those initiatives, Dean? Oh, thanks, uh, Dean from Singapore Office. Thanks for having me. Um, I think um, right now the statistics from the Ministry of Health uh, it indicates um, 243 confirmed cases. Uh, thankfully, we still have no deaths, but we can't guarantee that that will happen in the future. Um, but in the past three to four days, there's been quite a number of uh, imported cases from outside of Singapore where we have either visitors or returning residents who visited other parts of the world and bring the virus in. So. What, has, what the government has done is that they have uh, introduced like travel bans on or so, sort of like travel bans from certain countries when when the, when the residents are coming back. So like if if they are coming back from Southeast Asia, um, Italy and Japan and uh, some of these countries, they have to self-quarantine themselves for 14 days. And um, last week as well, I think the government gave an advisory to to either stop or postpone public events or ticketed events that have more than 250 people. So this 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 phase I think is a lot about social distancing as well as trying to reduce the number of uh, imported cases in Singapore. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And, and you know, what are we seeing here, Jeff, in America? What's been kind of the response on that policy side? 
Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, the uh, the Trump administration has uh, come under some criticism for kind of a delayed uh, response um, uh, uh, to the uh, coronavirus um, uh, pandemic. But uh, as I think most Americans are aware by now, uh, President Trump has declared... Um, uh, national state of emergency, and um, it, what's interesting about um, the approach uh, that the administration seems to be taking so far is that they're pursuing um, partnerships uh, with uh, the private sector. Um, so uh, retailers uh, and labs um, are hopefully going to get more tests up and running um, to just sort of make up for some of the shortages of test kits um, that have been available. And um, Individuals may uh, have the chance to uh, get drive-up testing uh, in the parking lots of, of Walmart um, and, and things like that. Um, I think it's probably too uh, early to tell um, how effective these measures are going to be. Uh, the latest data from uh, Johns Hopkins um, shows that uh, the trajectory here in the United States is similar to what um, Italy has experienced. And of course, we all know how bad the situation has been in Italy. So it'll be interesting to, to kind of monitor, um, you know, what else the administration decides uh, to do as far as, um, you know, uh, action. Yeah, you know, one thing you brought up that's really interesting is testing. You know, at least in the U.S., we seem to have a big dearth of tests, and that's been a little bit of a struggle here. You know, what are you seeing in different in different countries about, you know, how the testing's been going and kind of arranging that? I know, Dean, you've written a few stories on, you know, some Singaporean companies um, developing rapid tests for it. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Oh, yeah, so... Um... In Singapore, I think, or what I've observed um, in Singapore and Hong Kong is, I, I think the, the government is trying to work with the private sector to either test new technologies uh, or develop uh, test kits um, rapidly. So, so like, like um, I think on, I wrote on Healthcare News last week, um, the public sector uh, in Hong Kong has, has called out for projects to uh, for for people to send projects that can com uh ideas that can combat COVID nineteen, uh and I think um a company called Bioformis has been working with the um University of Hong Kong to to do um testing and surveillance of uh of of confirmed or suspected patients so that they can try to understand the progression of the disease better and. Singapore, Singapore, Singapore side, there are a few levels of cooperation. I mean, the IHES, the Health IT Agency, National Health IT Agency is working with um, a local startup to do like a ter thermal scan. Um, with the test kits, we have, uh, we, have a, we have a local agency as well working with uh, a tech lab to, to develop a test kit. So I think one of the good things we are seeing is that like kind of like the US where is is where governments are trying to work with um startups or health tech companies who already have the technologies to scale up or to rapidly deploy it so they can they can try to address some of the challenges caused by the outbreak. Yeah, last week I was on that webinar with Dr. Amy Compton Phillips from Providence St. Joseph's in Seattle and they were talking about sort of the goal to get those drive through um does drive-through testing sort of in place. So it'll be interesting to sort of see what happens here. I know South Korea did a lot of that, and it seems like that's been effective. So it'll be interesting to see sort of what happens when they can start putting it into different regions. 
But um, yeah, I'd also love to talk a little bit about social media's role. Um, I know that Leontina in the UK, they've been working a little bit with some social media giants. Could you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of social media's role in this? Yeah, sure. So um, obviously, as the number of confirmed cases of coronavirus has gone up, so has you know the amount of false and misleading information that's out there, unfortunately. Um, we've seen that the UK government has uh, taken a step for, uh, to set up a unit to counter the spread of inaccurate and false information. Um, so this team, we understand, will be tasked with identifying and, where necessary, responding to claims that aid to mislead or, or to deceive people. Um, we've seen similar initiatives in Romania and in other countries. Um, obviously, everyone is trying to work with tech giants, with social media giants, and also with uh, strategic communication experts to this effort. Um, it's quite interesting. We've seen, you know, some are even going further. So uh, the BBC reported today that a, a man was arrested in Kenya for publishing false information about the spread of coronavirus. Um, so I think, yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to see uh, the different initiatives that countries around the world are taking. What is it like in the U.S. at the moment? Um, in the U.S., we've had Facebook and Twitter um, sort of cracking down on misinformation. Uh, Facebook and Instagram are removing any misinformation that's gone up. And I also have seen sort of a rise in doctors and other medical professionals using Twitter and other means to sort of get accurate information out there and also talk about different issues arising sort of on the ground. I also had the privilege of speaking with Dr. Yel Tan Chen in Spain last week, who's actually living with the coronavirus right now, and he's in isolation. Um, and right now what he's doing is he's using the butterfly system, which is a smartphone-enabled ultrasound. It's a handheld ultrasound, um, and it's sort of portable. So he's at home, and he's um, doing different ultrasounds of his lungs, so people can actually see what it looks like to live with the virus. Um, so that's been really interesting to sort of get different information. And I don't know about you, but, you know, even talking about covering this this uh, pandemic, I found it really interesting looking at Twitter for stories and seeing, oh, wow, this is something, you know, another angle I haven't looked at yet. Has anybody else been finding social media really helpful for how they're getting information or stories? Yes, absolutely. So one thing that I've seen here in the UK is that there's a big discussion on social media about the impact of on our mental health, right? So a lot of people that are now under quarantine or that are trying to, to stay at home to prevent, you know, those vulnerable from, from being affected um, are suffering from, are saying they are suffering from anxiety. So they're taking all sorts of different steps to try and, um, and tackle that, um, which I found quite interesting. I think there was also some advice from the World Health Organization out recently, which said that um, we should avoid, you know, um, watching or listening to information that could make us feel anxious or distressed or, you know, to, to seek updates only at specific times. So I think this is quite interesting. I was wondering if you've seen anything like that as well. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Most of the ones that I've been looking at are very uh, kind of specific about certain actions, which I can actually see causing a lot of panic. And I think it has caused a lot of panic, but it will be interesting to see, you know, the mental health response to that for sure. Um, and talking to Dr. Chen last week, he was talking about isolation and what it's like when you do have to isolate and being away from your family, uh, which sounds, you know, it, I mean, that's going to be a lot of people's reality, but really difficult reality there. So kind of interesting um, to hear those stories. You know, the other thing that I think is sort of going to, talking about isolation, you know, is going to rise in this is telemedicine. And I know we talked a little bit about it in the last podcast, but Jeff, I'd love to hear what you see going on in terms of 
you know, telemedicine companies, um, what that's looking like in terms of their business model. I know you did a story on telemedicine not that long ago. Um, yeah, so what does it look like in terms of the use? But also, I mean, are those companies doing really well now because of this? Yeah, you know, it's interesting, um, you know, that as terrible as the, the coronavirus pandemic has been, it's been something of um, a business boon uh, for telehealth, uh, which is kind of interesting. Uh, one of the, the big buzzwords um, or the buzz phrases that we've been hearing around this coronavirus is uh, social distancing, um, you know, trying to, uh, you know, keep ourselves as isolated from, from other people as we can. And uh, telehealth uh, really plays into that. Um, you know, in the past few years, um, telehealth has started to um to gain in popularity for other reasons, um, you know, particularly when it comes to, um, you know, addressing, um, uh, you know, the, the health concerns of people who live in rural areas or remote places where, um, you know, care is not uh, as accessible. And uh, what we've seen is that um, uh, the model is actually uh, expanding uh, to urban centers as well because people are afraid, understandably, um, to, to leave their homes. Um, and so I think it's, it's really driving a lot of focus uh, toward telemedicine. And it's accelerating uh, sort of the growth, I think, that it had already been experiencing up to this point. Yeah, it's interesting to see how digital health companies are sort of going to fare during this, because also we've seen, you know, at least in the stock market in the U.S. has really taken a tumble. And we've had a lot of economic consequences from it. And I think, you know, we're going to start to see that over the next year. Um, but I was talking to Neil Patel from HealthBox the other day um, about an upcoming story, and we were talking a little bit about what it's like for startups in bear markets, where you know a lot of startups actually are able to sort of find their feet during that market, so it may or may not you know kind of create innovation, which I thought was interesting. And sort of on that point of creating innovation, you know, we've seen a lot of companies sort of making. Uh, tools to sort of tackle this virus and, and some of them I think you know to varying degrees of of helpfulness but what have you seen in different um, you know your coverage areas about sort of tools being created for this uh, well, I mean, I mean, you know, I think it goes back to um, uh, sort of the um, uh, the public-private partnerships um, uh, that have been going on, where um, you know the, the government, not only at the federal level, but also um, you know, state-level governments are uh, you know partnering with these uh, these private uh, businesses to try to uh, develop tests um, again to to try to um, address the the shortage of, of tests that we have in this country. Um, it's it, it's an interesting um, uh, opportunity um, if you want to think of it as an opportunity um, for some of these um, uh, businesses who who want to, to kind of get in the game. And um, it, it, it's just interesting. It'll be interesting to see how it plays out um, because, uh, you know, a lot of these companies, uh, you know, as you mentioned, they're, they're small. They're just uh, starting out. Um, and could this uh, potentially be... Um, the platform uh, by which they they gain uh, some sort of uh, prominence um, in the market. Um, it'll be interesting to, to see how it un unfolds. So, Dean, in Singapore, this has been go ongoing for a few months. You know, what have you seen as sort of the course over those few months? And, you know, maybe as other countries are just starting to deal with this, what can we sort of expect in the future? I, mm, so, so, an interesting thing that I observe was you know the the recent panic buying in uh, the US, UK, parts of Europe. So that actually happened in Singapore like about a month ago in early Feb when when the when the government raised the 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 alert or to, to orange level which is 
which seem to indicate that the the virus is is spreading and is quite quite serious. Um, but thankfully, I think uh once that happened, when the panic buying happened, the prime minister came out on TV and said, um, "Look, guys, uh, calm down. We we have enough for everyone. It's not the end of the world." And I think last Friday as well, the prime minister came came on national broadcast again to to like sort of update the citizens as well as to um, assure them that the government is doing the best to to manage the situation. So I, I think from a from a government communication standpoint, uh, it's it's great that they are trying to um, keep giving out right uh, keep giving out information, keep updating the, the, the citizens so that they have a peace of mind that yeah the numbers are increasing but the government is doing all it or doing to the best of the ability to to try to uh, manage the 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 outbreak in Singapore at least. So I would say we we can't say like how fast or how slow the outbreak will continue here. But I think one thing is for sure is like the government still continues to be very vigilant about um, developments in the APEC region as well as the as the broader the broader world. Thank you so much for joining us for HIMSCAST and stay tuned for any updates that we have with the coronavirus coming up. Thank you.